Uh, I'm going to pray for Isaac. Isaac is sharing with us this morning. And uh, I'm just really excited to hear what, what God has had in his heart. So, um, yeah, I'm going to pray for Isaac before I hand over to him. So, Father, thank you for Isaac. Thank you for the message that um, he's been sitting with and resting with and listening to you for. I pray this morning as, as he preaches this, Lord God, that we as, um, as, as, as the church will just be really receptive to hear what Isaac's going to be, what you're going to be saying through Isaac. So bless him, I pray, as he shares with us this morning. In your name, amen. 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 Thank you, Jamie. Good morning, church. Good to be here again. And uh, I just think the last time I preached probably was about four or five months ago. So I'm like, oh, I'm back here again in front of the lights. Um, but no, it's great to be with you this morning. Just wanted to say that for if you're a new student here, we welcome you. We also, what was a part of the notices, uh, is that we've got student lunch straight after the service. So if you hang around, get yourself some free food. And it's good food, I promise you. Stick around. Stick around. But today I'm going to be talking about Jesus in the process. Jesus in the process. Well, what does that mean? I'm going to go back to a time in my life when I struggled with spelling. Now, I remember it like it was yesterday, uh, sitting in class doing spelling tests. And you know what? I wasn't terrible, but I wasn't the best. I'd usually get like six out of ten, seven out of ten. And each Friday, our teacher would give us uh, ten new words to learn. And I thought to myself, I don't like being just the sixes and the sevens. I actually want to get 10 out of 10. So I decided that one day I was going to go and sit next to some of the kids who usually get 10 out of 10. (laughs) So there I am sat next to one of the students who regularly gets 10 out of 10. And so as he's writing down his answers, I'm writing down my answers. And as we're going through it, then the teacher calls out the, the words and I start to get X's by the spelling words that I've got. I'm like, hang on a second. These answers that I'm copying from him aren't right. At the end of it, I got four out of ten. I learned a lesson there. Do you know what? The prize that the teacher was giving us anyway was like a mangly old apple that she had on her desk. And she says, oh, this is what you'll win if you get ten out of ten. But I wanted the glory. I wasn't interested in the process. I wasn't interested in the hard work and the grit. I wanted to sit along the side, alongside the best spellers in the classroom. Well, we're going to open up our Bibles today. So if you've got it, whether it's a physical one or a digital one, I'd like you to turn that on. And we're going to read in John 10. So John 10 and 35. John 10 and 35. I'm going to read here, and this is the new... NIV version. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we want you to do something for us. We ask you. What do you want me to do? He asked them. They answered, Allow us to sit on the right and the left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or be baptized with a baptism? I am baptized with, they replied, we are able. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit on my right and left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those it has been prepared for. When the other disciples heard this, they began to become indignant with James and John. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I love the boldness of these two brothers. They're amongst the 12, and they're like, gosh, Jesus, we're Jesus' posse, we're his, his mates. But actually, we want to go one step further. We want to be on the left and the right-hand side of him when he's in glory. What do we know about these two brothers? So Jesus calls these brothers, and it says in Matthew chapter 4, that they were the third and fourth disciples to be called. They were also fishermen, and they had a nickname, which was Boanerges, or Sons of Thunder, which may have given reference to their boldness or their aggressive characters. But I also wonder whether it had anything to do with the fact that one time Jesus went into a village with them, and the village rejected Jesus and his, his signs and his miracles, and they said, as they left, Jesus, why don't we send fire down on that village? That might have something to do with the name Sons of Thunder. But what we do know is Jesus had addressed this issue of being left and right first already in chapter 9. And I'm paraphrasing here. He says, if any of you wants to be first, you've got to be last and servant of all. Gosh, that would speak today, wouldn't it? We see Jesus was teaching what was very opposite to his world at the time. And it's true today. How many of us at the end of the service would be the last person to go and get themselves a coffee or pick up a, back, a packet of biscuits or be the first one to clean up after teas and coffees finish? No judgment there. No judgment. But Jesus wasn't just virtue signaling. He was teaching them what it looked like to be his disciples, what it looked like to follow him. Jesus called them to follow him, and he was in the process of refining, shaping, and molding them to look like him. As I said in chapter 9, Jesus had already dealt with the whole who will be first. But it says in John 10 and 35 that James and John came to Jesus. Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. Jesus' reply was very interesting. First he said, what do you want me to do for you? Now, let's be honest, Jesus knew what, was, what they were already going to say. He already knew what was on their heart and know what was going to come out of their mouth. And so here's their bold uh, questioning of Jesus or request. Listen, we want to be with you in glory, but when we're with you in glory, I want to be on your left and my brother wants to be on your right. Now, this is a significant part about the position of left or right. The right-hand side and the left-hand side of a ruler or king is a significant position. In our time, it would be like the chief of staff of Downing Street acting as a senior aide to the prime minister. But Jesus' reply was, you don't know what you're asking for. And rightly so, they didn't know what they were asking for. They didn't know what was ahead of them. Neither did they know the journey that Jesus was going to take. For us being on this side of history, we know what Jesus was talking about because we've seen that he went to the cross, he died, and he rose again. But Jesus says, but to sit on my, my right and my left is not for me to grant. But those places belong to those whom it has been prepared for. You know, when I read that over, I was thinking maybe Jesus was alluding to a time to come. And in Ephesians 2, Paul writes this. He says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgression. 
It is by grace we have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places. It is mind-boggling. I can never get my head around it. Somehow, through Jesus' death and resurrection, we have died with him, but we also raised to new life in him. And Paul later on writes and says that we are joint hairs with Christ. So I'm thinking of a hair. We know that uh, Prince George will soon overtake his father, which is William, but William's not even there yet. William is a hair to the throne, and we now have uh, King Charles there. And he says that we are joint heirs with Christ, a position that we can never, you know, get ourselves, but it's through Christ that we have that. The other thing that was going on in that conversation was the disciples were there as well, because I already said in chapter 9, Jesus had already addressed that who's going to be first and last and what it takes to be first and last. But they overheard James and John's conversation with Jesus and were disgruntled. They probably were amongst themselves thinking, well, look at these guys. Is this the first time Jesus has addressed this whole idea of being first and last? Don't they get it? And you know what? I would say it's quite common of our culture today that we are in. We strive to be the best. We strive to get the best things. And I'm not saying those things are entirely wrong, but it's like, who are we trampling when we do that? I think when you sit down and you watch a bit of TV, I mean, I don't watch a lot of TV, but when I do, I feel like I'm bombarded by loads of things that the TV is trying to sell me, whether it be that you need to have the right car, and if you have the right car, you have the perfect family. Uh, If you have the right phone, then you'll have the best of friends around you. Somehow, that if we have the latest thing, then we are really enjoying life. But in verses 42, it says that Jesus called them over to him and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and their men of higher positions exercise power over them. But it is not to be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to give his life a ransom for many. Through the Gospels, we see that Jesus journeyed with these 12 guys. Jesus was invested and interested in their progress, not their perfection. He says that he he journeyed with them for three years of his ministry. And James and John were with Jesus when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. They were among the few disciples who got to see Jesus transfigured on the mountain. They saw Moses and they saw Elijah. What we know about James and John's stories are this, as it's recorded, that James was the first apostle to be put to death for sharing the good news of Jesus. And historians say that it was about 14 years after Jesus' ascension. John, on the other hand, died in old age. He was persecuted and exiled on an island. But he went on to write the book of Revelations, which we have today. These two disciples that we are talking about and in question turned away from their self and decided to use their gifts to serve God. And their whole lives were transformed by Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want my life to be transformed by Jesus. So 
anybody else here that wants that to happen? Jesus is interested and invested in your transformation. The Apostle Paul was another person who was transformed by the gospel, who was transformed by Jesus. And in the New Testament today, he wrote about a third of the New Testament, and he wrote a letter to the church in Colossians. And it says this in Colossians 1, verses 9 to 10. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that his spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. We want to grow in the knowledge of God, and, and God is intent in seeing us grow. This is what Paul is putting across to the Colossians, that it is his spirit that gives us the wisdom, the understanding, and the knowledge in order for us to grow. You see, in order for us to grow, in order, in order for us to bear fruit, we will need pruning. Now, I don't know if many people like, have heard what pruning is like, but it can be a painful thing. You know, I remember praying this prayer in Connect Group. We were all huddled together. It came at the end of um, our session together, and uh, uh, the person leading at the times has said, you know, guys, it's great to hear all these great stories of Jesus journeying with these disciples, but what does it look like to see Jesus journey in our life? Uh, why don't we pray a prayer that says, hey, Jesus, I want you to use me this week, this today, and uh, you lead me as you will. So surrendering. And as I was praying, I was thinking, ah, oh, what amazing thing can Jesus have me to accomplish today or this week? And uh, as I, I went away and I went home, I had this little pounding, like a little prod, a little poke. Uh, and it sounded like my voice, and I'm going to be honest with you. But it was, I felt like it was Jesus saying, you need to start paying for your fares on your way to, tra- on, on your way to work on the train. Now, a little backstory to that is, is that I did pay my fares on my way to work. But what it was was that when I got into um, Moore Street, sometimes the gate would be open. And I think to myself, well, I've just purchased a ticket. Why have I purchased a ticket if I could have just had a free ride? So I thought the next time what I'll do is uh, when I get on the train, I won't purchase my ticket until I get to Moore Street and I see the gates are open or closed and then I'll use the access Well, at that time, Jesus was pointing on that. That specific thing for me was a hindrance, was a blockage. And Jesus was pointing that out. As I said, Jesus, come and have your way among me, Lord. If there's anything in me that's not of you, Lord, use that and remove that and let me be used for your glory. As I said, I had a sense of God wanting to chisel out some things that may not have been right in his sight, that I may begin to look like him. The other thing to say is that Jesus wants to remove what's dead and what's dying in our lives. Why? So that we will grow. Now, at home, I have this plant. It's an indoor mini palm tree. I love plants. I love greenery. Uh, Emily, not so much. Um, <laughs> I think she likes greenery, but it's just like she doesn't like the word that goes with it. And I said, look, I will take the task of watering this beautiful indoor mini palm tree. 
Now, after putting myself up to doing that, uh, it was a hard task because what would happen is I'll come down the stairs every morning, I'll see the tree there and think, I need to water you. But then I'll walk straight out the house because the way our house is laid out, and I'm not making an excuse, the way our house is laid out is we've got a bathroom, our bathroom, our kitchen is on the middle floor and downstairs is where the plant is. So you can forgive me for forgetting to water the plant. And so when I come in from the evening as well, I come in and I'm like, ah, oh, I didn't water you this morning. I'm going to water you tomorrow. And I never get around to watering it. Anyway, the poor plant started to wilt. Uh, and so what I decided was that is, I'm going to give it as much water as possible. That meant I started to drown the plant. I'm so sorry for the plant lovers here. Those people with green fingers. You can't be, I can't be trusted with plants right now. But uh, I'm growing. Jesus is working on that with me as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll take that. Um, but yeah, it started to drown. And uh, it was funny because my aunt had traveled all the way from Canada, not just to sort the plant out, <laughs> to see, see us. And she visited us here in Birmingham. And when she saw the plant, she was heartbroken. She said, oh, gosh, look at this. This is a beautiful plant. Why? How? And how is it possible that you've done that? She says, look, you've given it too much water. So, okay, okay, what do we do? She says, right, take it outside in a garden and uh, put it out to dry. In those days, in June, I think it was, it was quite sunny and warm so, to allow the soil to dry. And so she then said, after a day had been outside, I brought it inside. She pruned it, you know, she was like chopping away, pulling the dead leaves away. And a week later, the plant started to look beautiful again. It's like it almost had a new lease of life. Now, if you ask me if the plant is still green today, yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. And uh, after I've done this talk, I'm going to go and water it properly. <laughs> but we see in, in John 15, Jesus says this. He's talking about the father being the gardener, and he is the vine. And he says that he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit he prunes so that it will be fruitful. Sometimes we feel like when God, you know, highlights something in our lives, we're like, well, no, I really want to hold on to that. But actually, he's highlighting those things because he wants to remove it so that you are fruitful, that you begin to bear fruit. The other thing and one of the final things to say is that Jesus wants to remove the things that are hindering us. It's not only does you know, he's, it's for our good. Not only does he want us to be fruitful, but remove those things that are hindering us. As with the disciples, he said, do not be like the rulers of this world who look to lord it over people, but rather, whoever wants to be great amongst you must be servant. I feel like had Jesus not addressed this with the disciples, it may have been a stumbling block for them, it may have been a hindrance for disciples, then there may not have been this unity that we began to see in the book of Acts. In Hebrews 12, verses 10 to 11, it says this, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained 
by it. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes in the past, this has been my prayer that, hey, God, you know what? I would love a higher paying job. Anyone else said that prayer? Am I the only one? (laughs) And you know what? It could be from a, a really good place that we're saying, look, God, we want to be financially secure. But there are times and seasons where God says, no, that's not for you in this season. I want you to continue in a job that you are currently doing. But yet we go back to God and we say the the prayer that we see in the Old Testament, it says, God, you said that I would be the head and not the tail. You said that I would be above and not beneath. You said that I would be the lender and not the borrower. But we might need to step back and see what God is working out in us. Could God be developing in us discipline and self-control? Making more money doesn't equal more discipline. I'm currently reading a book, The Making of a Leader, by the author of the name Tom Young. And he says this, invariably there will be days when you don't like what you have to do. But if you are safe in the knowledge that your actions ultimately align with the values that you set at the start, it will make it that little bit easier. I would like to reframe that. It's not good re-quoting someone else's quote. But I would say this. Invariably, there will be days when you... Sorry. There, invariably, there will be days when you don't like what you have to do. But if you are safe in the knowledge that your actions ultimately align with God's values that you set at the start, it will make life that bit easier. Make life that bit easier. See, God is interested in our growth. He's interested in our development. It isn't just that we say this one prayer and our lives are changed forever. Yes, that's true. But he's making, he's shaping, and he's molding us to be like him. So do we find ourselves sometimes comparing ourselves with others? Do we tell little lies? Paul writes this in Ephesians 4 and 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful. Or building others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. You know, Jesus is concerned with how we communicate with each other. He's concerned in how we communicate with each other. And, and that's not limited to Christians. That's everybody alike. So whether that be in this building or out at home, in a workplace, on the street, while you're driving, yes, I've been caught many a times with a little bit of road rage, even when I've not been a driver. Um, and there's been occasions, you know, where Emily's been shocked by my, um, my communication with other drivers. <laughs> and you know what? Jesus is wanting to shape and mold us in those areas. I'm not standing here today to tell you to do good and uh, you live a good life. I'm standing here today and saying to you, I'm also on that journey but would we like to submit our lives to God, to his pruning, to his leading, to his shaping, to his molding? You know, Jesus said that, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If 
you have love for one another. The if there is, because there's a choice on us as individuals, whether we want to step out, whether we want to speak in love, or whether we want to act in love, even though you feel like the situation doesn't require it. Friends, in the light of what Jesus has done, we are now new creation. The old has gone and the new is here. Now, it's been great this morning. I've been able to share, I felt like a a little bit of a confession today. Um, I've just shared all my flaws and believe you me, I've got a catalogue of errors. But as we can see from some of the stories that I've shared and the message today, God is interested in challenging, shaping, and molding us to be like him, but only if we're willing. I wonder if at the back we could play the video. Uh, There's a video just to play. Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I look in the mirror, I don't see a masterpiece, but I want to. So I go to God and I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, would you do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your Son? Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hi. Oh, who are you? I'm God. You said the prayer, so here I am. That's how it works. <laughs> you're not God. No, I am. Okay, uh, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is a very short book. It only has five chapters. Why is it so short? I was tired of lamenting. You are God. What's that about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. This is the process. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Let's get busy. Okay. I'm going to bring up things in your life that don't belong in your life. And uh, start right here. Your anger. Ow! I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrongest of ways. You compare yourself to others instead of me. And you lie. You tell little white lies. You're so afraid of confrontation. You're becoming a people pleaser. Okay, time out. Um, I think you've done some really good work, and I'm looking pretty good right now. When you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away, because ultimately, you and other people need to see my son. Okay, but when I look like Jesus, people get uncomfortable, and I don't think I'm supposed to do that. So what you're saying is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. No, what I'm saying is you've grown me to here. Maybe we take a break from each other for a while, all right? And then I'll stay here, and then you come back, and we can grow some more. You never just take a break from me. You're either moving toward me or away from me, but you never just plateau. What you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things in your life or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, chisel. No, 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 chisel. All right, here we go. Can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Okay, sorry. This right here, that secret sin, that thing that you run to whenever you're hurting, you're angry, you're lonely, you're tired. Do you want to keep rearranging this in your life or do you want me to chisel it out? not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's your whole life. This this hurts, okay? I don't think you understand this pain. Don't talk to me about pain. I know all about pain. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And there are things that you are doing in your life that are insane. Allow me to chisel them out of your life. I know, but I've let you down so many times, God. No, you were never holding me up. Okay, then chisel away. But just be prepared for what you're going to find in there, because I know who's inside there. God, I get up every morning, and I hate what I see in the mirror, because inside is a scared, stupid kid, and I try. 
I try, but I can't. I can't be who everybody else expects me to be. God, I can't even be who I want to be, much less who you created me to be. So chisel away and just know what you're going to find in there. You have listened to so many voices, so many critics for far too long that are not for me. And you've bought into the lie. You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night, at the end of the day, you think you're junk. I don't take time to make junk. I want to show you something about my love. Reach in your back pocket. This is a... It's a page from a notebook when I was in college. How'd you get this? Hello? Oh, yeah. Go ahead and read it. Dear God, did I hear you right? You said you want to use me. But I feel really useless. But if you can take this life, this mess of a life I have, and do with it what you want, I love you, God. I love you too. And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. It's going to be tough. Yes. But you bought into the lie thinking everything was going to be easy when you said yes to me. There will be trouble in this world, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy is God's. No, not the way you see yourself or you try so desperately for others to see you. But maybe for the first time in your life, the way I made you, the way I created you. Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. You are an original masterpiece. That's right. We are God's original masterpiece. Now, some of us, that really would have spoken to us right where we're sat. I hope all of us. Some of us here, we may think that our mistakes will hold us back from living life in its fullness with Jesus, as he's promised. Or for some of us, we might feel that we're disqualified or we disqualify ourselves because we have been going round in circles in the same sin. Today, I want to encourage us to make this prayer and say to Jesus, I want you to make me more like you. And if there's anything in my life that doesn't glorify you, chisel it away. Chisel it away. I wonder if we could bow our heads and as we're doing that, I'll invite the worship team up. Just pondering on what's been said today and also the video. Maybe you do say that there in prayer because it feels quite painful that God may want to deal with a certain area that you don't or not ready to give up. Or maybe you're at the end of it and you're like, God, I'm ready to give it up. Chisel it away. Use it for your glory. I wonder if you're responding to that, if you could maybe place your hands in front of you. We all need it, don't we? We all need that chiseling tool of God. We need that shaping, that pruning, that molding us to be more like the sun. And I'm going to pray.
Jesus, you are in the process of making us more like you. Remove in my life anything that does not reflect you. I accept, Lord, that it will be painful. It may not be what I want right now. But I know that in order for me to journey with you fully in this life, I have to turn over and surrender. So this morning, I surrender it over to you, Lord. Things unknown and things known. Will you remove it and you make me more like you? This day I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.